Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mullen. How are you doing there? We always appreciate you guys tuning in. We never take for granted and uh, we love getting questions and feedback and so on. So welcome aboard for another uh, episode. How are you doing there, Tio? Oh, dude, I'm, I'm doing splendid, man. I'm just uh, living it out here. Pacific Northwest doing my thing. Holy um, fuck. The uh shut up. The um <laughs> what people don't know is just before we started, uh Mike literally fucked it away um with the record button. Look, he almost he, he almost lost it, but he recovered at the last second. I'm just I'm trying to show behind the veil, Mike. I'm trying to show the people behind this. People enjoy that behind the footage stuff. Anyways, how are you doing, Melon? Mate, I'm I'm really good. Back for a couple of weeks, we had um, we actually had the whole family went down with COVID. I think I mentioned last time, and I, I somehow went through two <laughs> negative tests the whole time. So I'm like, I feel like I'm maybe immune to everything, and I could probably walk on the surface of Mars without a space suit or something now. But um, we're sort of starting to gear up with the uh, closure of the base I'm I'm on is going to be occurring over this next sort of over this year, and we're going to be moving. And so they're just starting uh, some runway works and, and so on. It's all starting to begin. So it's all like, oh, it's all really happening. So there's quite a lot going on at work and the flying continues apace. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's happy times. We, we actually went up uh, to the northwest of Saudi uh, last weekend. Well, lucky enough, we, we, we saw Andrea Bocelli came into Saudi and uh, performed. We'd, we'd, I mean, I've seen this guy on TV and shows like most people with his sort of classical music style of singing. And one of my mates said, hey, mate, he's coming into Saudi. And so we did it. We got a domestic flight up. We stayed for a weekend and just an extraordinary thing to see him do what he does from like, you know, 15, 20 metres away. And we got to see a totally different part of the country. It's all like mountainous and up there, it's all, it's totally different. There's palm tree, date trees that are date palms everywhere. And they've got these yeah. ancient sites from a civilization that was at Petra was the su- southern end of that and Nabataan and they got these rock carvings and it was super cool to see a totally different part of the country. So that was, uh, that was rad. Yeah, that, that is pretty rad. I, um, I don't know if I told you, but while I was there as an advisor, we got to work with the uh, Saudi forces. Uh, they have a mountain school up in that area. And I don't, I'd have to go back and look, but it was in the mountainous region, the Northern mountainous region of uh, Saudi and, that's where they do their mountain kind of warfare school. And so we were able to work with our Saudi counterparts to kind of teach them how to do like fast roping and how to, you know, just kind of work in that sort of environment, how to do landings. And it was just kind of cool, man. It was just, but you're right. It was, it threw me off because we're so used to the Riyadh life. And then you get up there you're like, Whoa, this is, are we still in the same country? Are we sure we're not South and Yemen or, you know, Jordan yeah, or something? That's what it yeah. felt like. No, I mean, it's it's just much less um, developed and stuff. Like heaps of people, if you're out, they're very friendly. They see like a Western face. It was all like, welcome, you know, in Arabic, which yeah. is marhaba. Yeah. Very, very yeah. friendly people. We just had a great time. So we, we're like, let's see some more of the country while we're here. And it's just not that flat open desert, which is just such a, so it was like a shock, you know. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I just remember how much I admired it. Yeah, yeah. And how about you? How about you, Tio? What have you been up to, man? You've been you've been studying away. You've been working. You're full of freaking energy. You got a blue lanyard around your neck with the local uh, supermarket discount card on it. <laughs> yeah, I, that just it makes me feel it makes me feel kind of important. So I like to wear this lanyard with this. Uh, it's actually a library card, and then behind it, I've got the discount shopping card. 
Yeah, you know, little been... kids, you know when little kids get their school uniform and they like wear it on weekends and stuff. Yeah. This is what Raph is. This is what Raph's doing now. So he's he's finished work and he's still got everything on and he's like, oh, I'm a big boy now. Look at me. Yeah, I sleep in this attire actually. And then it's kind of interesting because <laughs> I was going to circle back to your comment about Mars. I really would like to see what that helmet would look like. Like if I could oh, just so- actually <laughs> physically see that helmet, and I'd like to get maybe some numbers, like just you know, just well, specs you, on what we're working you've with. Ever been? If you've ever been to a driving range and they got like a golf ball on the roof, picture that. With yeah. the interior scooped out and a dark visor on the front with an oxygen mask at the bottom. That's what I wear at work. So is it safe to say you'd be like a real life bobblehead? Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> I mean, there's people with big heads out there. There's a dude who used to fly with Chase Corcott, and he he I was like a I was like a, a like a, an XL, which is not that far up the scale. He had a custom made helmet, this dude. His nickname, <laughs> his nickname, his nickname was Planetoid. The rumor was if you threw a tennis ball near his head, it would come back to you on the other side. <laughs> it's own gravitational force. Well, hey, Mike, started, have you been there? Pretty good. Pretty good. But I just like to say, you know, uh, pre pre show discussions, uh, I'm sitting here in a comfy t shirt and my, you know, comfy clothes for the evening. Uh, it's morning for Melon and it's evening. It's about 6 20 Pacific uh, Standard Time. Uh, on the west coast for raf they're both in their pilot suits raf's in a in his blue special pilot you know whatever that thing is and melon's in his green pickle suit doesn't matter how big your haircut or uh, i gave it away doesn't matter how big your head is as a pilot they all have the same freaking hair like right now i'm looking at them they literally have the same part the same shape like i mean raf's head is flat in the back so you can't tell on video but um he's indoctrinated. He's clearly indoctrinated in the school he's going into. It's 620 at night. He's sitting in his hotel room with his full getup on with his badge that I'm sure he just waves to like, you know, the cleaning lady going down like, Hey, Hey, what's up? And flashes it in front of him. Like Wayne's world, like look, VIP, VIP, you know, he goes to the bathroom to take his shit. He's like flashing his badge. He goes to the, he goes to the lobby to get a coffee and he's like flashing his badge everywhere. Nobody cares Ralph. All right, you're not. What can we say? Short, short back and sides with a bit of a part. Let's just, you know, Don Draper. Well, look, look, I, I completely hear you, Mike. I really do, and I actually, to some degree, empathize. And so, I'll be the first one to start the GoFundMe page for your hair, your hair implants, so we can get that going, so you can join the club. Because clearly, there's some, some angst and some, some desire to be part of a, a cool club. And listen, once you get the all the plugs, we can get you a little a little pickle suit, put your put your name on it. I'm not going warrant, dude. Okay. And I've been taking well, all the cool I can because I don't know if you see behind me on the frozen TV, but that's Danny Tanner right there. I was watching me some full house over dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so don't talk to me about being cool. <laughs> oh, Bob man. Saget. Yeah, yeah, he died, man. Yeah. He hey, died. may he rest in yeah, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Man, I who, who had any idea that he had such a raw stand-up comic freaking persona? I had no idea. I was like, no, he's that sweet guy from that show with the little kids. Yeah, yeah. that was a shock. Yeah, that's a crazy trend, right? I mean, you think of uh, what's that dude? Um, uh, it's the one that Dave Chappelle does a bit on, Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh yeah, who's a total creep show? Yeah. Man. But uh, other than that, uh, I just wanted to share that. 
the last, let's see, since last Thursday, so almost a week, I've been really just taking in this next chapter that's about to happen. Um, so in the last episode, I was prepping the next day for the uh, my interview for the next position that I got. And uh, I clearly said I thought it was mine to lose. I was, I was very confident going into there. Uh, I showed up, which was, you know, the first part. So I, I did good there. And then uh, I walked in. They're like, hey, we're going to ask you some questions. Take a seat. It's like all the senior E9s on the on the whole community. And they're like, we're going to ask you some questions. We'll give you your response. We might ask you further questions. At the end, you can close and say whatever you want. We'll ask you to step out and uh, we'll have a discussion. Then we'll bring you back in, let, let you know kind of what we thought, how you did, things to improve. And then uh, you'll get a phone call or an email in a couple of days and let you know. And I was like, all right. So I went in there. I was I was confident. And honestly, we are now three for three for all three of us getting through because I was offered the job before I even left the room. They didn't even ask me to leave. They gave me the position in the room, um, which is extremely cool <laughs> to put it plainly. But I was very humbled. Uh, to go in there and uh, have a discussion with those guys. And um, honestly, the prep was everything. And I, again, episode 75 that we put out was interviewing and preparation. And I listened to that the night before and in the morning on the way just to get my mind right and, and knocked it out. And I used almost every single one of those points. I asked them questions at the end. I was engaging. They were kind of surprised that I was asking them questions. Uh, and it was really, really cool, man. But uh, this is the last. Uh, this is very personal to me, too. So when I was, you know, so 11 years old, I said I wanted to do this job. And I said I didn't just want to do it. I wanted to be good at it. And then I also said that I'll also take it the next step and be in this position one day. So a couple of years ago, I was um, I was the uh, given the operator of the year uh, title. And this was the next part. And I, I made this promise to my dad, actually, on his deathbed. Uh, I, I promised him that I would become this, this, uh, this job and, and make it. And, uh, and then one day I would achieve this job, which is kind of the pinnacle of the operator community. And uh, it's, 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 it, it is happening as we speak. So uh, I've taken the last few days just to really let it sink in. And it's, it's crazy to think, man, because I was this young dude coming in and this is, this was life and it was bigger. It was like super getting to work with superheroes and all this stuff. I mean, it was just crazy. And now I'm getting ready to lead an entire platoon of those dudes. <laughs> wow. You know, no, no joke, man. It's a, it's a massive uh, feather in your cap. It's a huge thing to achieve. It's a huge thing to achieve entry into the community you're in, let alone uh, be considered for and then leaving aside uh, being selected to move into a leadership position in that community. I've just got nothing but, uh, you know, props to give you. Obviously, we talk a lot offline and we went through, uh, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and stuff. And I just have, I just... Massive acknowledgement for you for what you did. And you and and no shit, you really put your money where your mouth was with a prep. And you can't fake, you cannot fake 
what it is is needed to deliver. Like you cannot get around. There's no fake it till you make it. It is you build your confidence through hard work and graft. And then, you know, preparation and technique comes on top of that. And then you get in there and deliver. And when you're in, when you're in the room and they're asking the questions, like you don't get into the room on the, on the basis of fake it till you make it. And there's definitely no way you get through an interview at that level by uh, trying to be something you're not. And mm-hmm. so, you know, hats off to you, man. I'm, I'm like, we talk a lot offline and I'm, I know, you know, I think it's, it's unreal and I've got nothing but uh, huge respect for you for, for that achievement, man. Well, it's all, all credit to, uh, it's all credit to God for keeping me around long enough. It's, it's credit to you guys and everybody that's been on along my journey to help me out. And honestly, just us trying to offer up some knowledge and, you know, uh, like no shit, it works, right? It genuinely works. It does. We've, we've pulled some information together that has worked for the three of us in the last 18 months in pretty competitive environments. And, you know, we really feel like we're putting stuff out there for you guys that is like from our heart for you guys at home. And no shit, Mike has delivered in a in an environment to, to describe it as competitive would be to sell it short, you know. Just all you got to do is go select the best Steven Seagal movie you can down at the local blockbuster <laughs> and you will see the kind of people that uh, Mike is in a community full of <laughs> as they fat, as they fat around corners and do nothing but shoot sniper rifles from chairs. <laughs> we, we love us some Steven Seagal and the absolute realism that he brings to, to every role as a retired or current Navy SEAL at the age of about 80 and about 400 pounds now, I think. With nothing but hair plugs. I mean, he's the guy to talk to if you want to get some uh, dead ant legs stapled to your head and uh, woven into a, 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 do- a front doormat. Sniper, this special is ops, no semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> Best yeah. movie ever. Oh, my God. A um, couple things real quick. Uh, I don't want to steal your airtime there, Melon. By the way, Melon, welcome. I feel like you're finally here with us. Um, one, obviously, we talk offline, but clearly I'm like, beyond proud. Um, I tell everyone who who's willing to listen, which so far has been nobody, but I tell them about how like one of my closest friends has literally achieved a, a pretty, pretty amazing role. And then I also have a question. It's really out of curiosity. So this new leadership role was just, was this like the alternative because they kept denying your warrant officer packet? Well, they asked me that in the interview, they're like, Hey, so do you really want this job or do you just like want to become like an admin bitch and not do anything and just collect a paycheck and be a warrant? And I was like, well, I've said it before. I'm actually motivated and I like working here and I take pride in what I do. So I think I want this position. And they all like kind of silently, it was like a golf clap around the room. The senior enlisted applauded that instead of the traders that become warrants. So, uh, uh okay. It, it okay. Was good. Okay, so they basically denied your warrant officer packet. Got it. Duly noted. Yeah, the, honestly, yeah, they 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 shut off my certificate, so I can't even get on the website anymore. So it's 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 officially over. <laughs> well, well done, man. No shit. Yeah, well done. I mean, not not everyone can swan around with a a tag for the local library around their neck on a blue lanyard. Yeah, actually, I, I want a lanyard now. Raph, make me one. It doesn't yeah, have we should to be get you a lanyard. Do they give you a lanyard now? Is that what 
no, you no, you have to be um, you have to meet the minimum standards for a warrant option. I, I don't think you're there, Mike. If I could be, if I could be so bold. If it's if it's anything that like I have to transform to be like you in that sense, then yeah. I'll stay wrong. No well, problem. it starts it starts with hair plugs. Look, man, the joke's getting old. Okay, I'm already losing my shit. It's over. Like it's 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 all part of it. It's, it's actually seasoned. Okay, it's all about being seasoned. Yeah. And you know what? I got my first not gray but silver hair. I literally have one on on my body. I'm not telling you where it's at, but you can imagine. We, it's literally. We don't want to know. Yeah. No, we don't want to know. It's it's like a white flag going. You're fucked. But. <laughs> I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> this is too much information. The people do not need to know this information. I think it's classified. No. How about you? How about you? Let us know what we're what we're going to talk about today. You got a couple of questions, and then we're going to run into some a uh, little bit of discussion around leadership. I think. Yeah. So we had a couple. Uh, that question we got last week really inspired that whole episode and it was a great discussion on legacy but there was a cut there's two other ones we're going to answer real quick just to get them out there and then we're going to move on to the topic but uh just real quick these two questions uh we were asked what is something you've succeeded and failed at already this year this is for each one of us so i'll, I'll go first i'll kick it off one i succeeded this position that i just did um uh, massive massive uh success there i mean it's like i said it's like the pinnacle of my entire career so it's pretty cool uh one thing i failed at would be hmm, i failed to navigate a relationship with my brother and uh we haven't spoke at all and uh he's kind of out of my life right now if i'm being honest and uh it bothers me uh i tried to do everything i could uh, I don't think it was fully me. Um, I think he's got some personal things going on, but um, that was something I was putting a lot of effort into on the backside. And, uh, you know, I can't control what I can't control. So I feel like I failed that part of the relationship with my brother and we're not speaking. So that kind of sucks. But those are my two. Yeah. Yeah, I would say uh, those those are pretty strong ones there. Um, I would say my my success has been because uh, it's been a multi year attempt to get to where I'm at. So I, I literally was thinking about all the steps I had to take to make myself qualified to come be able to fly for a major airline, not just any major airline, but this major airline because um, they don't really recruit high numbers. So in that regard, um, I feel like that's absolutely an achievement. But it was you know something that was I had planned at least a couple years ago. And I started prepping easily six months before I got hired. So um, it was a long, thorough process, but I think it, it obviously paid off. Um, and then I'd say for a failure, and this is one that I, I, that I know that I could change any minute, and I, and I try to affect almost every time I have a, a chance. But um, I always knew that once my son was born, I was going to try to get him to be bilingual like I was. You know, I didn't speak English until I was five. And, then I, and so I've always had a foundational Spanish in, in my vocabulary. And unfortunately, in his immediate circle, I'm the only guy that speaks Spanish, right? Because my wife doesn't speak it fluently, neither does family. So he's inundated by English. And I feel like, you know, he's just over three years old. And I wish he does know Spanish, but I, I kind of wish that I more aggressively 
approached him in Spanish because I'm starting to notice that because he understands English a little bit more, I tend to fall into that, that language just because I want him to respond to what I'm asking him to do. And so looking back, I feel like the last six months, maybe seven months, I should have, even though it was harder, the harder route would have been to talk to him in Spanish, even though it would take more time to communicate and it would take, I just, I either didn't have the patience or I didn't create the time and the space. And I think that it's bothered me to the point where like I've already made a commitment to myself just in the last couple of, I, cause I've been thinking about it for a while. And I was just like, I need to stop. Like, cause the time of him being able to learn is so small. Like I, I'm running out of time, right? He's just over three years old. And once he gets into a higher language or once he gets a little bit older and English becomes a primary, it's going to be harder for me to inject um, a, found, a solid Spanish foundation. So um, I kind of weaned away from my goals and, and I've noticed it. So that anyways, that's, that's me being honest. And then they're also, I mean, you you guys have really had massive career success to open the year. You know, I like that's what it's worth acknowledging that they're, they're really big, they're really big successes you guys have had. And and there has been, you know, you've heard us say it on many podcasts, there has been no fake it to you make it. There is no getting into the role you're in now, Raf, after you know, doing a self-help course or you know, reading a book, like you have to get out there and get those flight hours and build those skills. And so well done to you too for doing that. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think, you know, that you could address that, that language issue whenever you can. Just for a very quick question. Do you have family members that only speak um, Spanish? Like, is yeah, that absolutely. sort of why? Yeah. So you'd, you'd really like him to be able to communicate with family members? Yeah, it's my parents. That's their primary language. So it's, if nothing else, it's a homage to where, where I came from, right? Where his gene pool came from, or at least half of it, I should say. Um, and I just, I want him because he, you know, because my parents don't live close to me, you know, when they do visit, I want them to be able to communicate effectively and be able to like, you know, bond because, you know, yeah. time is not on our side. So um, yeah, it just, I was home, not I was home recently and spending some time with my parents. And I just, I remember leaving going, I owe this, I owe this to my father and I owe this to, to my mother as well. Cause they've done, you know, they've just given me the world. So it. I have an Italian I, Australian mate who, who managed to do this with both of his boys. He only spoke Italian to them and he just sucked it up. So I, like, I have no idea. I'm sure it's a massive challenge because I'm, you know, I struggle with one language. Let's just, uh, let's just leave it at that. I, I've got nothing but, uh, Acknowledgement of the people who are bilingual and uh, further, especially after going to Spain. I'd love to be able to talk to those people. So my success has been opening the year with just a massive concentration of time and really quality time with my family. Like just totally blessed to have uh, time over Christmas, two weeks with them. And I always, like for me, when I come home on that day when the vacation starts, that's the thing I look forward to the most, just waking up in the morning and knowing I'm going to be with Jerry and the kids all day, all together, you know, whether we're at home or whether we're traveling, it doesn't matter. I just, that's the thing I love. And then it's a funny thing when they went down with COVID after returning home, then we just had seven days here in the villa. We got to isolate and so on. And I just, it was like three weeks with the family, you know, I just absolutely loved it. And it was so clear to me that like a really good reset on like, what is the thing that's most important to me and that I derive so much pleasure from. And 
being in their lives and, you know, knowing what's going on for school and friends and music, obviously, for one of them. It's just a little monster pounding out the drums and, and keyboards. And, like, that's really clear to me that that is, um, like, that's the, the heart of the stuff that I care about in the world. And I just really appreciate having had that time. And a failure for me has just been, no joke, getting back into weight training. I've been doing a lot of rugby training through uh, the second half of last year. And, you know, that's out on the pitch and running and doing all the drills and all that sort of stuff and coaching kids. But I've just not been able to get myself into a routine with um, weight training for the first time in my life. And, and so that's something that I really want to address. And the thing I, like, I want to point out for all of us, those, those failures they're only ever temporary. And if you think of them as permanent, then you end up in a position where, you know, what, what did uh, Churchill say? Success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Well, you, you know, you've only, got to, you've only got to succeed one more time than you fail and then you're, you're, you know, people think you're a winner. But I know that all of us can address these, the temporary. Great, great opening question, mate. Tough, tough to think about. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the next one, just real quick, is <clears throat> is there one app or book you would recommend to establish good habits throughout the day? Uh, the one that I recently downloaded maybe about uh, about a month ago, it's because I, I do a lot of the social media uh, posts for the podcast and stuff and put out things, is uh, one, it's called Stoicism Quotes, and you can just download it and it's called that and go on there. And there's just tons and tons of different quotes um, from Seneca and, um, you know, all the, all these great minds and leaders and stuff of uh, days past uh, Marcus Aurelius, like all this stuff, but you can put it in by topic. If you're talking about wisdom or courage or strength, and it'll bring up all these different stoic quotes and everything like that. And then it kind of like, it's cool to read and it's just, you know, put you in this mindset. I don't know. It works for me, so I'd recommend that one. Okay, next on our on our vacation and time together, we the family we played a heap of Scrabble together. We'd be sitting in a in a little coffee shop in when we're lucky enough to be in Spain, having a, a bit of tapas, and we'd just be passing Scrabble back and forth on 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 the mobile. So like, there's words and words plus and some of that stuff, and that's just a fun little thing to do, right? And you're working vocabulary and having a bit of a laugh, and I like. That's the newest thing I've got on my, on my phone. Is it, like small. is it American Scrabble or is it Alzi Stra Scrabble where there's like tons of really weird words and abbreviations, you know? It's just Man, like, I, no joke. I'm like looking at the words that they accept sometimes. I'm like, that is that is definitely not a word. <laughs> a, and like just a very quick anecdote, playing Scrabble with my mum years ago, there's like a family anecdote about boat was on the, on the board and my mum – Nana Chris, she's quite a force of nature. She just dropped a U in front of it and she's like, you boat. And I'm like, I'm, that is definitely not a word. And she's like, got the triple letter and triple word and all that sort of stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, it is. And I'm getting like 100 points. I'm like, I'm quite sure U boat is not a word. And so it's like a standard thing. Anytime we ever play Scrabble, someone will be like, you boat. Like, no. <laughs> Grandmothers can do what they want, I think. Yeah, they earned that right. Look, I made you all. <laughs> upset me i'll get rid of you make more right okay well uh thanks for the questions out there we always appreciate 
everybody sending in questions that ask different things, no matter how silly it sounds or how deep it might be, we'll do our best to answer them and give us our honest opinions and everything about it. So thank you guys. Uh, so getting into this week's topic is styles of leadership. Uh, this is this is a pretty cool exercise to do, and we're going to have some resources for you in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> the main Mainly, I got this from when I was in the course that I was in that I just graduated at end of last year. Uh, and there's two sites that you can go to um, and kind of learn about yourself a little bit if you've never done this. Or if you have and it's been a while, like Raf. Raf took it in like 2015, and he might have evolved a little bit in the last seven years. Um, one is called uh, openpsychometrics.org, and it's a personality test. And it'll, you'll just kind of go through it and you click and, and, and fill it out. And then it's going to give you your personality uh, and all the different uh, backgrounds for that with usually a little description and what it means. And then to identify your leadership style, uh, you can go to verywellmind.com and they're going to bring up the uh, five styles of leadership uh, that we can kind of talk about. Those styles are authoritarian participative, delegative, transactional, and transformational. Uh, kind of what those are, authoritarian is you like to impose your will or your power on people. So you're the guy pointing the finger or girl pointing the finger, you do this, you do this, you do this. And there's no, there's no, it's a one-way conversation. Uh, participative is you like to involve your team around. So whether it's a group discussion or something, you like to involve everybody in it, kind of a democratic, uh, like a, a democratic uh, approach. Uh, delegative is you like to give initiative to your people. So delegating tasks down to everybody is you don't like to take the full burden as you'll split it up and you'll say, hey, you take this, you take this, you take this. Transactional, uh, this is big with people who like to give rewards or punishment for performance. Um, but hey, get it done and we will get you, you know, a bonus or the day off or hey, if you didn't do this, you got to work extra or something like that. And then transformational is your inspirational speakers, your motivational speakers. They like to lead by vision so they could have a powerful vision. They're very good at communicating it. And they like to tell an inspirational story, experience, speech, something like that to inspire their, their team and, and move them forward to accomplish whatever they need to. Um, so those are the five. Uh, there are some that you may rank higher in. So, and, and make no mistake, you, you can have all five. So different, different times may require to um, fluctuate in how much you are in each one. So for me personally, I am a, a participative uh, leader when it comes to mission planning and prep. Uh, but I am an authoritarian when it comes to execution. So bringing everybody in, I want to hear everybody's you know opinions, experience, uh, suggestions, whatever it can be. Once we formulate that plan, hey, that's the plan. And we might deviate slightly depending on situation. And, you know, we talked about the OODA loop before and making decisions. Um, but hey, this is the plan. We have timelines now. We have assets lined up or whatever else we're going. This is our deal. We will need it. And I become, I shift to that authoritarian and running the timeline and making sure everybody's in line with it. 
So you can you can fluctuate between two. There's nothing wrong with that. How about how about you guys? Oh, like I would, I think everyone can picture a uh, a battlefield scenario, and you can you can debt that celebrity that uh, military. So in your people. People around even still doing that kind of stuff. Previous work when I was working overseas with those the next Sherlock all this with the authority. To be more specific, I can walk in to get that transfer. He knows everybody's names. He knows their birthdays. He knows. I mean, it's like he is involved in everybody's life, and that's not just the employees. It's also the customers, which is why he took this business from damn near going actually was bankrupt, and now it's you know it's you know, profits are off the charts, even in the middle of, of a recession. So uh, again, I really think it's because he's that personality and he never once used the, the authoritative, you know, aspect. If he did, I never saw it. And I just couldn't even picture him in that scenario. Clearly there's a time and a place for that. Like when the bullets are flying and you've got a team of guys needing to move through, a, you know, a village or whatever, like I can totally see that that's the place. I've also seen it described as the, um, when the like the subordinate doesn't have the knowledge or doesn't have the information that so like in an instructional like a lot of us in in you know ab initio uh, boot camp and so on like you're just very familiar with that kind of thing. The word also I think now is a bit out of favour the way it's described. I've seen it described differently, but um, the delegative stuff for me is when you know the people around you have real expertise. And so you can just assign tasks and it's like, just feed me back when that's done. And definitely that's what it's like for me with the guys I'm working with, um, with execution of task. It's even like, what, what task do you think we need to get done here? And I'm like, I know the people around me will know what that is. And then <clears throat> in decision-making, when you've got time and you've got expertise, you know, you run that democratic style and that crew resource management, uh, RAF, when I was on the P3 in Australia with 20 guys on the crew, and they were all very senior and well-skilled. It was much more, it was really emphasized for us, you know, with the aircraft captain, if you speak first, you're going to stifle uh, innovation or discussion or other ideas. You're going to get everyone aligning on what you've just said. So it's very much when you got the time, you know, and that's, that's another key part here, when you got time. You can go through that process and encourage junior people to speak first and have the senior guys come in last. And as soon as the aircraft captain or the, the actual leader speaks, people are not going to have a contrary idea unless they're a really strong personality type. So trying to get to an excellent decision in, in that environment takes a certain style. But when, you, when you've got no time in the middle of an emergency, I'm sure that all uh, aircraft captains would slide towards authoritarian just naturally because you have to take charge and execute now while that engine's on fire. You guess I'm going to say, Raph? Yeah, absolutely. And I was, it's funny you just brought that up because I was going to, I was going to kind of, um, kind of paint the picture of where that my thought process is in all this. So, as you know, Melon, a lot of aviation accidents that have happened around the world, um, especially the ones that got news, uh, a lot of the time it was because there was a, like a legitimate um, air crew breakdown and the captains were usually authoritative and the set, the first officers, weren't willing to uh, challenge that authority, even though like, and I'm just going to take a quick example, but there's several, I mean, there's literally several of this, but there's a Korean airlines flight that plowed into a mountain in Guam. And the first officer knew that they were at an altitude that wasn't safe and they were going to hit this tower, but he, he would not challenge the authority of the captain. So he just sat there knowing he mentioned it once the captain dismissed him. And two minutes later, they hit it. Uh, they hit a mountain. 
And so when I think of authoritative, uh, like, so I'd like to differentiate two things. It's one thing to be assertive, but I don't think that's authoritarian. I think that's, hey, press this button. Like, you know, I'm telling you, I need you to do this. If you challenge me, I'm not going to just start yelling. You. I'm going to be like, oh, why are you challenging me? Did, did I miss? Did I overlook something? Right. Did I make a mistake? Because my assumption is usually if I'm in a really high stress environment, like with emergency procedures, uh, especially in a moving aircraft that's about to descend into into like a, you know, like a mountain or something like that. Um, I, I'm assuming that that person next to me is at like there's the same like obviously the priority is survival, right? For us and our passengers. So I'm not going to just assume that they're challenging me just because they're challenging me. I'm assuming that maybe I missed something. So that's what I'm saying. I think authoritarianism, I just have a really difficult time finding a really good place for it. I, I would say being assertive, like Mike was referring to, like, hey, you know, if you're going to breach a door and it like the call has got to be yours, you have to be confident in your, in your, in your uh, decision especially if you know that the men that are serving with you might potentially get hurt, right? Like you have to have that confidence. But authoritarian is basically saying, it's implying that I can't challenge your decision at all. But what if, what if I'm on Mike's team and as I'm turning the corner, I see something that we didn't brief or whatever. And even though we plan left, I need to go right for the safety of whatever, you know? I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a million scenarios. Mike, you could probably talk on that, but that's yeah, well, just what I think about. Well, like I said, we're we're talking about that, and we're going into OODA loop. I train the guys I train with. I train all the time, day, night. I I know in a dark room, I can literally rub shoulders with them on, on night vision, and I know exactly who I'm touching without even saying a word. Like that's that's how much you you get to know these guys. Um, in that scenario, like we're not robots, and not knocking the conventional forces or anything, but. You know, if if you tell if you tell a standard infantryman, hey, stand on the corner while you're getting shot at, they will stand on that corner the entire time because they were ordered to by their sergeant or whoever is just like, hey, he told me to stand here. It's like there's a rock 20 feet to your right. Why why won't you get behind it? Well, my sergeant told me to stay here. You know, I don't want to make him mad. Um, the the point I'm making is it's a very well developed and highly trained team. And we're thinking shooters. We take pride in being thinking shooters. So yes, this is the plan and this is the timeline or whatever I have to meet. And hey, this is my intent. Go execute it. Within that, these guys know their left and right limits. So if it's like, hey, we go in and we plan to go right, he's going to look, the team leader especially, make the assessment. And he's going to be like, uh, no, we can't go right. Hey, just passing up, changing change change flow, we're going to the left. Okay, check. As long as you communicate it to me and I know what you're doing, I trust you. Like you're up there making the call so like I can adjust and move on there. So it's like authoritarian, like authoritative in the big picture down in the very defined timelines or whatever we're supposed to meet. But inside of that can be a flow where the OODA loop process comes into play. And I have the trust in, ex in the experience of my guys, especially my team leads to be able to adjust as long as they still are meeting the, the end state, you know, Hey, I want to breach the damn door. All right. I don't care how you breach it, but I want the door gone. And they're like, okay, got it. And they can execute how they want. Go ahead, Melon. There's a super, like where well, you, you've just, you've just un, like, there's a lot of stuff that you've just given us oh, there. One, yeah, of them is, one, of them is, one of them is commander's intent, right? So if people understand what the actual full objective is, rather than like stay down in the corner and shoot, 
like what you're actually doing is very famous one was uh, the Blitzkrieg World War II. The Germans had trained uh, for this kind of stuff. Not We're not uh, speaking in admiration of Nazism, but the, the way the German army executed the start of World War II has been studied by uh, military leaders and historians around the world to try and unpack how they did that so well. They famously had the order was like a single line and it was get to the French coast as fast as possible by any means. And so officers and NCOs and soldiers at all levels knew all they had to do was like, all right, there's a farm cart. Let's take that. Here's a train. Let's get on this one. Here's some vehicles. Right. Now we're just, we're just rucking for a period. And I saw a, a comparison and they did that and just executed the speed at which they got all the way to the coast to take that uh, vital land and secure their perimeter is just phenomenal. It's never been matched in military history. The, the, the counter to that was the D-Day orders. And it was, I've seen the two orders groups next to each other. And it's literally like, you know, five feet, like a meter and a half deep paper stacked from the floor with all the breakdown of who's going to do what and exactly all this sort of stuff versus a single, it's a single page. And, and on that page, it's like a, a paragraph that the German high command was like, this is what we're doing now. And they had trained and developed the leaders below them. And they were like, we have to give these people the freedom to execute. And we'll know that that leader in that individual situation understands this is the overall goal. And inside, they can have all the full freedom to maneuver. And you know, t- trying to keep things controlled when you're in the top position is a temptation that everyone can fall into. And you see it in all organizations where they're, worrying that people are going to get it wrong. Whereas if you train your people and build them up and end up with excellent subordinates who, are, who were able to understand and interpret, they'll, they'll have the ability to make those micro decisions as needed. So Melon, you talked about uh, delegative uh, leadership and kind of, you know, going that side of it. So authoritarian is like, hey, I want you to do this. And, and this is why or there's no why. It's just, hey, do this right now. The delegative portion is a really good uh, example that I just I actually just learned it the other day when I was going through the interview. But have you guys ever heard a message to Garcia? Have you guys ever heard that? So no, I it, haven't. it's an essay by Albert Hubbard, and it was written in 1899, and it's Express, it's a story about expressing the value of individual initiative. Um, so basically, this commander was just like, hey, take this message to Garcia. Get out of my face. Go do it. And he's like, who's Garcia? What are you talking about? He's like, take this message and give it to Garcia. Go. Get, get out of my face. Like, he didn't have time. He was too busy to explain the why or anything. It was just take this message and go. How the, how the story plays out is basically this guy it's a story of networking and initiative and figuring out the why all on your own and figuring out how to get to the end um, by forcefully as a leader, forcing your people to go through this journey to figure out the way of how things work. Right. So instead of sitting there telling you as a leader and giving you all the answers, Hey, you have to do this, 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 and then go talk to this guy and go over here. Sometimes you don't have the time to do all that. So this, this essay is saying, hey, sometimes you just got to give it to your best person and say, hey, go do this and let them go and trust that they are just going to do whatever it takes to figure it out. Kind of like what you were talking about in the example of World War II and D-Day. And uh, on the reverse side of that, 
you know, look at the allied plans and how much of that went to shit. The airborne troops were misdropped all over the place. They had mixed units. Some of the platoons that formed the highest ranking was like a corporal, you know, and it was like all asking everybody, well, Hey, I'm not really a leader. What's everybody want to do, but everybody knew the targets. Hey, we're taking, we're taking con. We're taking St. Mary Gleese. We're taking this bridge. And they all kind of knew the end state and started making these mixed groups and still were able to execute, you know, which was pretty cool to see how they adapted to that side of it too. So yeah, Melon. It, take, it takes a lot of investment beforehand to be able to end up in a position where you can just give objective and, and let people run. So that delegative style, you know, if we're, if we're saying that's the, uh, like, cause a lot of the militaries have tried to emulate that since. And, People overlooked the fact that the German military had been drilling at this since 1860, and there'd been there'd been decades of failure, and then building and you know getting more and more excellent development of NCOs, more and more excellent development of officers. And I've seen studies where they've they've tracked other Western militaries since, and none of us have been able to ever achieve at the level that that they got to. So it takes a huge investment in the people below. So you're only able to to give someone that full freedom when they know what they. They know what they're doing, you know. Like you have you have to have expertise in your individual role to be able to go and do that. Like I've seen this work very well with like fast jet, uh, you know, fighter pilot mates of mine. You'd never have to get down into the full detail of the weeds on how he's supposed to execute. It's just like there's a task and go. But that guy's had, you know, years of absolutely top quality training and development, testing and assurance and so on. So you've got to be able to adapt to the people you're working with. Cool. Uh, so we're going to we're going to wrap up here in a minute because we could literally probably do like five episodes on each one of these or whatever. But uh, just real quick, I'm going to go down the list one more time. And I want you guys to either put out a name or a position that pops in your head to each one of these. OK, so we'll just go Raph Mellon, Raph Mellon, Raph. And you guys can answer it that way. All right. Authoritarian. Mike. Jesus. <laughs> Participative. All three of us. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 Good on waiting your turn. Uh, you're not participating anymore. Um, <laughs> delegative. Raft to the cleaning lady. I'm delegating you to clean my room. Look at my key card. Right. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> transactional. I'm genuinely struggling to come up with that. <laughs> but other people would know, you know what I mean? The people I work with, I'm like, yeah, I know these people, but I'm trying to think of like well-known leaders. How about a parent, right? So, hey, I'm going to reward you if you clean your room, then you can have candy after yeah. dinner, right? Something simple as that. It's a good example, right? And then transformational. So an inspirational speaker or somebody. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. There you go. Right. Jordan Peterson. I think he would be one. Uh, yeah. You know, it's pretty cool to, to look down this list and really think about it and what you can take from each type of position or leader uh, and how you can morph back and forth to each situation. Because if you if you listen to this and take away that oh, authoritative and um, participative uh, is Mike's. And so I need to do that because his job requires it. You're probably wrong. Uh, take these tests, look at it, look at your personality traits, look at your leadership styles, 
share it with other people that you work with, print them out, maybe sit down for 10 minutes and go, Hey, what are you? How do you work? And you can see where you match up with people and where you're going to be complete opposite. And it's going to help you figure out how to be a better leader, a better teammate, you know, however it, it falls out. Aaron. So, uh, it, it definitely helps. It, it gives you that outside awareness uh, and some perspective about yourself. So that's probably all the time we've got there. Uh, you know, we've taken a bit of your time here. You know, we had Mike opening with a just a massive success uh, and congratulations to him for achieving at a, a very high level in a highly competitive environment with uh, super skilled people around him. So hats off to you, man, for uh, putting your money where your mouth is. And uh, from all of us to all of you, take care, send in those questions. We love getting them and, uh, you know, see how you guys let us know how you guys feel about different leadership styles for different situations and uh you know we'll uh, get back to you next week take care